0: And thanks for listening. Welcome to this podcast of Climate One at the Commonwealth Club. I'm Greg Dalton, founder of Climate One. Climate One brings together thought leaders from around the world to advance solutions to global warming. The Commonwealth Club is a nonprofit, nonpartisan forum open to the public. Join us online at CommonwealthClub.org. Welcome to Climate One at the Commonwealth Club. I'm Greg Dalton, founder of Climate One, a leadership dialogue on energy, the economy, and environment. Wyoming has America's largest reserves of coal and uranium, making it a key player in the national debate about the country's energy future. Thirty states are powered in part by energy that comes out of the ground in Wyoming, and there are plans to build a power line from there and other Rocky Mountain states to deliver as much as 12,000 megawatts of energy to California. Here to discuss those issues and much more is Wyoming Governor Dave Friedenthal. Please give him a warm Commonwealth Club welcome. Thank you. Governor, welcome to Climate One. Thank you for coming.
1: You bet. Thank you.
0: Uh, So let's establish a baseline. Um, Is climate change real, and is it caused by human activity?
1: The answer is yes. Uh, The answer to the second question is yes, but nobody's been quite uh, successful in calibrating it, which is the problem I think. In that, uh, depending on on which study you read, you know, we are the. For instance, at one point we had a calculation which showed a much slower um, uh, melting of the of the ice caps. Mm-hmm. Now all of a sudden we've gone back and said, well, we we miscalculated that, so now we've got to rethink that. But at the same time, we had a different uh, study which gave a um, lower biota consumption of CO2. And I think part of the problem why policymakers um, end up... First of all, you've got to figure there's a set of ide- uh, ideologues who are just going to say, no, it's not real. I mean, you just sort of live with that. Um, but it is real, and man does contribute to it. But where you get into the more technical aspects of people trying to calibrate what degree man contributes, because then that analysis would tell you what actions we ought to take. And I think one of the reasons we have trouble getting um, a consensus about what actions we ought to take and why people tend to operate on policies based on either biases or prejudice is that we don't have a clear-cut uh, statement about, all right, what do you do? I mean, the 450 goal, when you, when you, when you think about it, it makes sense. 450 parts per million right. carbon I'm sorry. concentration? Right. Sure. Uh, but then you end up with people having a whole series of different theories about how you're supposed to get there, when, when, when you want to avoid it. And, and so you end up, I think, for policymakers who are legitimately trying to figure it out, there isn't a particularly clear path or direction. And so I think you end up with um, everybody having opinions. And then they tend to also, everybody creates their own facts. So you're trying to figure out what's the right step. Are you saying that the path isn't clear or the science isn't clear? Because there's inherent uncertainty in science, which is about probability. And uh, right. Although in most in most instances uh, the, the science has enough clarity that it gives you guidance on the path. I'm not sure that's true here. Uh, because you've got so many people who I, I have trouble kind of sorting it out. Clearly we need to do something. This thing isn't working. Uh, we're out of balance. Uh, but I'm not exactly prepared to say that I'm enough of a scientist to know. So you read all the scientists and they can't even agree. In this most recent book uh, that I'm reading now, the one from the guy who started Mother Earth uh, Catalog. Stuart Brand. There you go. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the sort of, it's a very pragmatic book, but it's also uh, paints such a dark picture, you wonder, what do we do? So,
0: if, assuming that there's not going to be a, a clear certainty at some point, you know, how are you, as a, as a policymaker, uh, managing that uncertainty and trying to guide a public that is also, if you're confused, the public right. probably
1: is too? You know, I, I, I think that, that what's lacking is a, uh, uh, a performance based approach. Where we say, okay, here's what we think we ought to have in terms of um, a, a glide path to reduce emissions. And say, all right, uh, we're going to do that however it can be done um, in whatever means and technology is workable. And so if you think about CO2, the, the most, um, uh, the, the purest form of energy uh, outside of renewables is uh, nuclear. Yet when you say nuclear, there are whole sets of people who say, look, I'd rather live with CO2 than take the risk on nuclear, mm-hmm. uh, which, I, which I find um, – um, and then when you probe it, you can't tell whether it's because they, there's a, an inherent fear of sort of Three Mile Island – or whether it is uh, sort of a scientific-based fear. I mean, if you talk to the French, they think they've, they've figured out how to do this in a much more rational sense.
0: Some, it's just it's cost. I mean, there's definitely the environmental factor. And some say nuclear, well, but, because of the liability shield, doesn't uh, pencil out economically. Let, let
1: me tell you, it, for anybody who thinks we're going to solve this without cost, I think, you know, one of the reasons that we have trouble setting policy in this area is everybody thinks it's going to be free. Um, we as Americans believe that the world's supposed to be exactly the way we want it, and it's not supposed to cost us anything, mm-hmm. um, that there is supposed to be lots of gain and no pain. And one of the things that, that continues to strike me is that um, we may know that there are steps we should take, but if they cost money, we're not going to do them. For instance, it, and, and, and if you think about it, um, the generation of renewables, particularly uh, wind, is all being underwritten by federal subsidy if people had to pay true costs at the bus bar in terms of that power, I'm not sure how they'd feel about it. When we do it through, a, through the subsidy of the federal government, uh, particularly with the, the more recent changes, people say, well, yeah, we can probably live with that price. Um, but we had to deceive them that it was at that price as opposed to putting in the full cost of uh, calculating in uh, the federal subsidies. So it se- seems to me that, that one of the things that makes it hard to come up with a policy is that one of the parameters that are always imposed on the policy is it has to be cost-free to the citizen, and I think that that is a, uh, an impossible policy matrix to meet. Then
0: do you tell the citizens of Wyoming that energy is going to cost more in the future?
1: Absolutely, because I don't think you can look at it and not believe that. And energy is still relatively cheap in Wyoming you know, compared to other parts just because of the abundance. But we still end up with essentially regionalized pricing on natural gas. I mean, people look at it and say, look, we're the, we're the um, uh, second largest natural gas producer in the country, which is really natural gas is more important to our economy than either coal or uranium, mm-hmm. um, and both in terms of number of jobs, amount of money that, are, that it resonates, but our, pre- our prices are regionalized. So people look at it and say, well, Governor, we're, we're producing it right over here. And we're selling it at the wellhead sometimes for two bucks or three bucks, and I'm paying 10. Uh, so they just, I mean, I think they do understand it, but nobody wants to deal with it.
0: So how do they respond? They understand it. I mean, you won re-election overwhelmingly, uh, uh-huh. so they didn't, didn't vote you out of office if you're talking about raising energy right. prices. Um, yeah, I'm curious how that plays out. The populace. Uh, it, it
1: plays out because what it recognizes is ultimately that, it, that those price increases are primarily market-driven. Where you run into trouble is when you begin to say, in addition to the market-driven price changes, you're also going to have um, price changes imposed by regulation either for climate or for reclamation or for dealing with wildlife. At that stage, people begin to begin to question whether or not um, uh, capturing those externalities in the price. They end up saying, well, we're not sure we want to do that.
0: Would you agree that renewables will be, uh, 10 and 20 years from now, will renewables be less expensive than they are today, and will fossil fuels or hydrocarbons be more expensive than they are today?
1: Both of those are dependent on um, how the technologies evolve. Um, for instance, if, if we assume that the uh, current subsidization of uh, wind and the renewables will encourage greater technology changes. Because remember, the, the the basic turbine format we're using on wind is, is essentially the format we've been using for 60, 70, 80, 100 years. We've made improvements in part of the technology, and, but the fundamentals are the same. The same is true, frankly, with regard to coal-fired power plants. They're the same as they've always been. Mm-hmm. If, if you develop technologies that make them more efficient so that you're capturing more of the energy out of the coal their price may or may not, uh, their, their, relative to the others, their price may go down. So I, I think that, that um, people answer that question based on what their biases are. And the interesting thing about being the governor of Wyoming is that, is that because we've got you know, coal and oil and natural gas and we've got uh, uh, uranium, we're also home to 40% of the class five to seven winds on the North American continent are in Wyoming. So you look at it and you say, "Okay, we've got all of this." Now the question really is, how do you make sure that they all get developed on a level playing field, both in terms of uh, level of subsidization and environmental requirements? And we don't do that now.
0: And also to note that our hydrocarbons, fossil fuels, also subsidized.
1: Absolutely. Uh, in different ways, not not in the ways that I think that have, they haven't produced the encouragement with regard to technological advancement that the way that we have chosen to subsidize wind has, because wind is based on production. And so, uh, whereas much of the subsidy for oil and gas just comes from the way that it's leased.
0: Okay. Uh, let's get uh, specific about some specific sure. fuels. Uh, coal in, in particular, uh, the Powder River Basin, I think, is the, America's largest uh, coal extraction area. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, there's basically, some people think, sort of a moratorium on new coal plants in, in the country. Um, how do you see uh, coal playing out, uh, the, the market for coal, the demand for coal mm-hmm. in the next 10 or 20
1: years? Well, the, the, um, uh, the de facto moratorium really comes from the fact that nobody's willing to finance them right now. I mean, I think that because of uncertainty uh, about the price on carbon, because of uncertainty of the price on carbon, I think that that what we've got is um, you have such massive uncertainty in the energy markets that uh, um, there's an awful lot of money sitting on the sideline. I think that the uh, uh, again, it depends. It depends on what we choose to do as a country. I think that uh, uh, clearly, I believe there are technologies that can bring uh, uh, coal into. Um, compliance on carbon constraints. For instance, if you take the uh, the California, it's essentially a natural gas standard uh, for uh, production of electricity. Uh, coal can get there with um, uh, essentially a, um, a combined cycle gasifier, and then you've got to capture the carbon and uh, and uh, bury it essentially in, in the ground. Um, so Does that
0: technology exists today.
1: Depends on who you ask. If, if you like or believe that coal should have a role in the energy future, you believe that that, that technology, um, the basic chemistry of gasification exists, the basic movement of, of uh, uh, CO2 uh, exists, the basic capture of the stream, but on a commercial scale, it's not been demonstrated. So if, if you, and this is why I say, I think the interesting thing is how do we get to a, um, a policy that says what we really want to know is the performance and the results. Because right now, I think a fair answer to that question is it appears that the basic technology is in place, but it has never been demonstrated on a commercial scale. And I think on the CCS, on the carbon capture and sequestration, carbon capture part moves fairly quickly. The ability to move it, uh, the CO2 to a place where you can inject it is pretty clear, it's been done. The question is, how does it behave uh, at-depth, in formation, on, in the saline water. Over time. Over
0: time. Which has never been tested. That's right.
1: And, uh, you know, depending on who you ask, uh, if, you're, if your predisposition is you want to figure out a way to make sure that you never use coal, you say, well, this can't be done. If you say, uh, all right, people say it can be done, what we need to do is go find out, which is why people like me say, look, what the federal government ought to do is go out and build four or five of these. Let's see if they work. And then if they work, then you know what to do. If they don't work, you also know what to do. So I, I would not, I would not rule, out, um, I wouldn't rule out any of these because I think one of the problems we have is, is that we end up saying, um, um, I, like, I like wind energy, and I believe that it's the right one, therefore everything else is bad. And I think that, that to me, what we're doing is we're generating policy based on uh, prejudices. And what we need to do is to to develop policy based on the outcome. What do we think will happen? What can be demonstrated? uh, So that instead of saying, I'm against uh, nuclear because I'm against the waste, um, is that really a problem that is greater than the benefit it could bring to us in avoiding greenhouse gases? And just do an analysis.
0: And you mentioned uh, sort of finding out if some of these technologies will work. Yeah. So there has been some movement lately by the federal government to, to invest some money in that direction to sort of say, look, let's let's see whether – because FutureGen, a previous initiative, a clean coal sequestration, mm-hmm. was stopped by the Bush administration. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and so would you say that if we had to put a bunch of money on it and, hey, if it doesn't work – then what? Do we then we Then where
1: Where's Wyoming in that case? Well, where Wyoming is, it's better figure out some other way to support itself. And, uh, uh, but if that happens, it happens. I mean, the, the, the adaptation, it, I think, is there. Um, and if it turns out that you know we end up relying on natural gas, that's fine, too, because right now natural gas is really a boon for our economy. So the, the, uh, uh, you have to be willing to say, um, yeah, if it turns out that it doesn't work, it doesn't work. On the other hand, if it does work then places like California have to, have to end this sort of, oh, my heavens, we can't take coal electrons, which I think is an interesting thing, given the fact that the data here suggests that you're taking more coal electrons now uh, than you were three years ago.
0: Are you calling us all hypocrites out here in California?
1: Listen, you're no bigger than we are. <laughs> I mean, it, it's no... I mean, we... Um, I mean, and I love my state, and I love our folks, and I'm, I'm proud to be one of them, but, you know, we, we liked wind energy for a while. But now that it's really starting to come, the novelty's kind of wearing off. And so maybe we don't want those turbines. We used to like, uh, I mean, power lines were fine until somebody started talking about five or six big ones. And now we're not so sure about that. So uh, the, the, um, the, the hypocrisy that we all have as Americans is such that I want this problem solved, but I really I don't want it where I hunt elk. Uh, I don't want it anywhere near my house. And uh, I'd prefer that it, that it be in your backyard. Uh, but I think if we're going to become serious about uh, the economy and about uh, energy and about the environment, we're going to have to accept that um, uh, we probably have to have uh, kind of performance or result-driven matrices, and we're going to have to live with some things we don't like. I mean, in, in the vast expanses of the West, we're going to need to live with some power lines. I mean, we're used to being able to go out and look and see for miles, but if we're gonna develop the wind resource and deliver it, we're gonna have to live with some power lines. Nobody wants to live with them, um, but at the end of the day, if we're serious about any of this, there are just gonna be some um, uh, compromises that we're gonna have to make between what we want and what we should do. But our political
0: system, uh, in many cases, is designed to slow down those projects rather than speed them up, and if you listen to the scientists, they say that we need to make a transition quickly. Can the political process make the transition fast enough, as fast as the science say we need to make it?
1: Unfortunately, the political process absolutely reflects the voters. We all like to say that somehow uh, we're innocent, but the truth is, we are we we elect people, and uh, we say, look, we want you to solve the energy crisis, but then we go to them and say, but we're going to sue you if you support a power line. We're going to sue if you try to cite um, a uh, power plant. We're going to sue if you uh, want to have coal be part of the mix. We're going to sue if you want to – I mean, if you think about it um, – we as citizens have got to change our attitude because we're electing people who reflect us. We can say we're not or, we're, or our side lost the election, but at the end of the day, um, um, politics does reflect the society.
0: What, what's your own uh, carbon footprint or energy pr- footprint for your family? What kind of car do you drive? I won't ask you how many guns you have because I know you're not going to tell me. I won't um, tell you that,
1: but I do have a few. <laughs> um, you know, the um, uh, the uh, our personal vehicles, um, I have... Pickup truck. Uh, I think uh, my wife has a small car. We have the usual fleet of state cars, you know, that take care of us. Um, my kids—they're—they're they're in a generation who's. Um, one of my daughters just doesn't want to have a car. I mean, it's sort of a interesting a gen- shift. there. It, it me, is isn't? an interesting shift. It's yeah. a generational one. I mean, the uh, yeah. um, and she's appalled that I haven't gotten rid of this old pickup. Uh, but I like it, and I don't drive it that much. And uh, so I think there's a there's a uh, both a personal and a a kind of societal dimension to all of this.
0: The uh, executive at General Motors said recently that if his 17-year-old daughter was asked to give up her iPhone or her car, she'd probably give up her car. Oh, her social life resol- revolves more around her iPhone rather than our generation where your car was your, your liberation. That's right. I mean,
1: the, the big deal for us was to get a car. With kids, now it's an iPhone. Right. I mean, it, it, there, there's, a, there's a generational transformation um, that is is underway... Um, and the question is, is whether that um, ultimately affects how we formulate policy. I mean, right now it's not all clear that we can govern ourselves, uh, because um, we we if somebody says, all right, we need to sit down and figure this out. Probably there's going to be um, in an energy future for this country. There's probably going to be some coal, be some natural gas. There's going to be a lot of renewables. Um, we probably need to, to produce as much as we can domestically. We need to figure out if we're going to set the standard as being essentially anything that is the equivalent of emissions of natural gas or below. If coal can get there, great. If it can't get there, it can't. Um, If somebody were to sit down and say, okay, I I think we can agree to all that, the respective sides would say, look, how can you do that? You sat down and you compromised our commitment to renewables only. Or you sat down and you Mm -hmm. you compromised our commitment that coal has to be first dispatched and so we've ended up in a situation, then that regulation permeates through the financial markets. And people say, look, I'm not going to invest because I'm not sure where this is going to end up. And I I think if you look at the Waxman-Markey bill, it has sort of five pages from everybody. Um, And so at the end of it, you have all of those pages. And I've read the whole thing, and I've tried to figure it out. And the whole thing is, I think they meant well. But by the time they took in five pages from every member of Congress, uh, you ended up with a bill that makes no sense and is actually internally inconsistent in terms of the policies that it tries to promote.
0: Dave Friedenthal is the governor of Wyoming. He's our guest today at Climate One. We're discussing energy and climate change in the western U.S. Mm-hmm. I'm Greg Dalton. Uh, so Leon Panetta, who's now head of the CIA, former member of Congress from this area, says mm-hmm. Americans govern by crisis or by leadership. It sounds like you're saying that the public doesn't yet see a crisis uh, and it sounds like uh, my question again is, is there leadership right now? Or are we going to have to wait until there's a crisis uh, for these kinds of things to move?
1: Um, I mean, I, I appreciate uh, his comment, you know, that it's either crisis or leadership. Um, the truth is it's, it's a question of what kind of leadership you get in a crisis um, because uh, um, th- this country is not prepared to let somebody persuade them that a crisis doesn't exist where they don't believe one is. Uh, because um, people have an intuitive sense, right or wrong, uh, and they're going to act on it. Um, so I think, uh, I mean, look at, the, look at the energy supply side of this. Um, if you look at it, uh, everybody says we want energy security. I can remember, I mean, I worked for the governor of Wyoming in 70, Uh, 374 during Arab oil embargo during the post Arab oil embargo period we swore that as a country we would never be more uh, or we would always be less dependent than the 36-37 percent we were then on imported oil. We're now at 60 plus and we're entertaining the idea that we would go to um, uh, uh, liquefied natural gas being brought in uh, from countries who are fundamentally unstable, who are in the process of creating their own natural gas OPEC and we're saying that that natural gas is positive for the environment when it is produced in countries that have absolutely no restrictions, environmental restrictions on how natural gas is produced, so when it hits our, our ports, it already has two and three hundred pounds of uh, CO2 emissions embedded in it before it even gets here. Um, and uh, we're, we're in the process of moving in that direction, um, and so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, that people don't perceive a crisis uh, because we have always opted for the easiest way out because because we make short-term decisions.
0: And if I bl- correctly believe that, most people in Wyoming don't even believe that climate change is A, real, or B, human-caused.
1: There is a... Uh, uh, the last polling I saw uh, by about 53%, most of them reject um, now. Um, you know, the... Uh, uh, it's interesting. They reject that, and yet we put an immense amount of money into trying to figure out how to do carbon capture and sequestration. We're the first state in the country to pass legislation to actually regulate it, try to figure out what the background is as to who owns four space. Um, and so the, the, the contradictions uh, are as rich uh, uh, in the texture of Wyoming as there are anyplace else. And recently,
0: when the federal government passed some credits for uh, renewable energy, I think it was ten thousand dollars or up to fifty percent of a project, uh, the, the residents of Wyoming snapped them all up uh, within ten days.
1: We're not stupid. <laughs> I, mean, uh, I mean, I mean, I uh, mean, and I don't know where we're going to end up as a country because we, we are, um, we're all kind of like that. I mean, uh, you bet they take the they take the tax credits and uh, and yet. Um, uh, you know, the particularly to the extent that, that stuff, uh, and it's one of the things that I think we're doing wrong is, is we're not concentrating enough on the both the financial and practical benefits of energy efficiency. To the extent people can see that, and that it works in their daily budget or in their or in their monthly bill, um, energy conservation is one of those things that, that uh, people people do understand price signals. Um, and uh, so that's why I think we need to be very careful about uh, understanding that energy efficiency is kind of the it's not just the low hanging fruit but it's the permanent fruit when you when you make those gains you make them.
0: The, uh, the best energy is the energy that's never used. Um, there was an American Council for Energy Efficiency Economy that ranked Wyoming 50th among uh, the states in energy efficiency. I don't know if you saw that, or what have you done to promote efficiency in Wyoming?
1: You know, oh, that, oh that's one that got off on the building codes and that. I think if we're talking about the same one, I remember that. The, uh, um, and they're right. If you think as governor I'm going to go try to pass the statewide building code, which is one of the talismans that people look to, ain't going to happen.
0: Just happened in California.
1: Uh, well, it ain't going to happen in Wyoming. Um, you know, it's a it's a different place. Um, uh, it is a place where people, you know, you might get it done locally. And so we've been out trying to encourage people about the benefits of conservation and use those programs that way. But the notion that that um, uh, that people are going to support the imposition of that from the state, the only thing they dislike. Um, more than people from Cheyenne, the capital, telling them what to do, is somebody from D.C. I mean, uh, it's just the nature of it. Um, and, uh, you know, the, I think I had some righteous reporter from the New York Times, a uh, young gal, great gal, uh, asked me about it. And I said, well, why don't you come be governor of Wyoming and see if you can get it passed? Uh, I, I just think that that part of it is um, uh, if you're going to make it work, you're going to have to make it work at a local level. And as soon as people see that it makes financial sense, they're going to tend to act on it. But mandates are, are those mandates are interesting things in that um, uh, as soon as you mandate something, people try to find a way around it. If you let the market, if we'd actually price this stuff properly, people would say, "Look, it's in my best interest." It's not in Cheyenne's best interest or D.C.'s best interest.
0: And I can see what you're saying on the residential side. People don't want the government to tell them how to, how to build their house or their ranch. On the commercial side, commercial buildings can very quickly capture energy savings by changing the way they do lighting, heating, et cetera. And a lot of uh, developers here in, in California are realizing that, hey, right. this, is, this
1: is easy or free money. Uh, well, you, and, you see, and you see that on the commercial side. The other place we see it is, is uh, like when we're building schools. We now go through and do a lot more energy efficiency stuff because um, you, have a, um, you have a multi-year, multi-generational understanding that over time what you want to do is keep your costs down. And so that over time what you want to do is keep the school district's costs down. Unfortunately, an, all, an awful lot of people, when they're just building uh, their personal house, they figure they're not going to be there more than three or four years anyway uh, because of the way people move. I mean, the, the, the frequency with which people change their residency is so much higher than it used to be. But on commercial properties, on um, institutional buildings, you know, uh, state-owned buildings or schools, uh, you have a different time frame under which you uh, make your analysis.
0: Been a lot of talk uh, in buildings and other sectors in California about green-collar jobs, whether it's a retrofitting Mm -hmm. building, Mm -hmm. installing solar panels. Is green-collar jobs uh, on your radar in in Wyoming?
1: They they are, except for what you discover is that, um, uh, you know, one of the big pitches from the wind power guys is all these green jobs. Mm-hmm. Turns out there really aren't, uh, which is one of the, I think, one of the problems with gain in public support for it is that um, the, uh, uh, the components, uh, the turbines, uh, the blades, and everything are manufactured somewhere else, shipped in. Outside you know, like the U.S., that. probably. Um, probably. Yeah. <laughs> uh, although there's going to be a few of them in Colorado. But, and then what happens is they, they usually bring in their own crews uh, because it's a specialized form of work. Uh, so, what you have in terms of the local financial impact is you may have the guy who has the ready mix company uh, who gets to pour the big concrete slab, you know, to support it. Um, maybe a guy who does a little dirt work, he might get a little work. Um, and you might get a little bit of uh, short term uptick at the local hardware store, or the industrial supply. So, in terms of the notion of green jobs, the the wind, frankly, the wind energy just doesn't bring them to Wyoming. I mean, it's just not there. The The more the more commonplace thing that I think you're going to see is you're going to have more and more people working in the oil patch who are working on control and emissions. You're going to see more and more people um, in terms of, uh, for instance, if we we're able to get a couple of these um, uh, coal beneficiation plants underway to see whether it works or not. I think you'll see that kind of work. But an awful lot of the... Components on the wind energy stuff aren't they're certainly not made in Wyoming. A lot of them are already made in America. You're right about that.
0: Uh, you didn't mention solar, and, and solar mm-hmm. installation is one area where. And so, are there jobs, and is there energy in uh, Wyoming for solar?
1: You know, the we're, we end up on those maps as one of those places that, that solar has some potential, but it's not the not the low hanging fruit. And so, you're, um, um, uh, the the sort of residential applications that people are doing individually um, are primarily wind. Uh, there's a little solar, but not a lot. I think people are waiting for that cost curve to shift on solar, and it is shifting, but it's not, I don't think it's quite there yet in terms of uh, making sense. And again, you're back to the fact that people don't stay in their houses long enough anymore. Uh, they don't see that as an investment that's going to pay out uh, during their expected life, because people, people tend to uh, make residential sh- uh, changes fairly quickly, at least compared to what it was when I was growing up.
0: One of the financing and policy innovations that started here actually in Mm -hmm. Berkeley is to put the financing for solar installations onto the property tax bill Mm -hmm. so that when Mm -hmm. I sell to you, you get the benefit and I don't have to, so that it uh, stays with the tax bill rather than Mm -hmm. the purchaser. Is that a possibility?
1: It, It might work, although, you know, property taxes for us are so low I mean, it's just not – I mean, it's not the driving force behind supporting governmental services, so you might be able to, but we've had a lot of trouble with anything that is tied to a a property tax benefit simply because taxes are really low, property taxes aren't.
0: And and speaking of of, of taxes uh, and and wind Mm -hmm. – there was uh, a member of, uh, I think, who advises you, uh, Aaron Clark, recently said, uh, we can't let wind development hurt the state's revenue stream from extractive minerals, which <laughs> is the idea that you know, promoting wind could hurt the state coffers. Is that a problem for you?
1: The, uh, uh, what Aaron articulated is, is a view that is shared by some folks. Um, uh, fortunately, I'm governor and he's not. Um, and uh, I think that uh, this is all reconcilable. What this is really about is a question on the preservation of sage-grouse species that is uh, uh, um, under consideration for being uh, listed. About 50% of the sage-grouse population in America is in Wyoming. So as a state, we developed what we call a a, a core area strategy to try to preserve their habitat because, um, I mean, that's just the way you're going to do it. Now, much of that habitat uh, turns out to be uh, scattered around the state, and some of it is in uh, areas where people want to do wind energy development. And so we've taken the position that, look, uh, we don't let the oil and gas people in there. We're not going to let you in. And they don't like it. Uh, they, they know this sort of, they're, the, they're the kind of the energy choice du jour right now, so they don't like it. The, I think where you're going to end up on wind energy is that we'll end up trying to create a way that we, um, uh, we tax them so that they contribute to the state. Um, I don't know how, what level because it's really not uh, – we don't need a lot. But, I mean, they, the, where they really have trouble is at the county level. Uh, so that, so if they become part of the revenue stream, then that argument switches, which is you know you want to support them.
0: So a new energy uh, source, wind, both being subsidized and taxed. Absolutely,
1: I mean uh, if there's nothing unAmerican about that. In fact, it's really quite American <laughs> to give uh, and take away. The the uh, um, uh, you know the, and the wind guys make the argument that you're implying, which is we're so special we shouldn't be taxed, um, but. Um, you know, I I think that goes back to my view that we need to be a lot more practical and honest about this. Is and that is is that if it's an energy source um, for which um, uh, there is such a demand, then they can bear the same burden as anybody else in terms of supporting. <laughs> supporting schools and highways and roads and the rest of it, uh, why should they, um, I mean, they enjoy an immense subsidy from the federal government. I don't know that the taxpayers of Wyoming need to subsidize them. I think they can, they can contribute to the well-being of the state just like anybody else. Now, they shouldn't be singled out for a greater tax burden than anybody else. But I think, you know, what you want is a level playing field. California
0: got into a box in the early days of the Internet by not taxing Internet retailers uh, because it was new and they you know, we're so special uh-huh. we shouldn't be taxed. Uh-huh. Now it's huge business and to tax those now big businesses is a problem for California. Yeah, but particularly
1: because now they probably have really well-paid lobbyists. Uh, uh, so, I mean, and you have to remember that we're a state that uh, uh, we've been through this in the 70s. Uh, uh, after the Arab oil embargo, all of a sudden coal was the big thing. Um, mm-hmm. And the coal industry said, look, if you tax us, we'll leave. And we said, okay, we'll tax you. And they didn't leave. I mean, and if they do, if they are so marginal that they can't participate in the support... Of the schools and the roads and the you know the things that uh, that are necessary, uh, then it's not an industry that I want. I mean, and so when the wind guys say, "Well, if you tax us, we'll leave," because it's so marginal. Well, I'm not sure. I mean, we're talking about three percent or four percent. I mean, you're not talking about some huge uh, tax. Uh, If they are that marginal, um, I'm not sure you want them. How large is the severance tax in Wyoming? Pardon? How large is the severance tax in Wyoming? Uh, on uh, oil and gas, it's 6%. Uh, coal, it's 8%. Um, the contribution that minerals make to our tax base is roughly 60% um, of the taxes paid through. Uh, not all of it on severance. I mean, part of it's property tax, and part of it is uh, um, uh, royalties that the state gets off of the state-owned portion. So um, it is a, uh, it's, it's the reason that we don't have any state corporate or uh, income tax. Um, it's a reason that, uh, I mean, we, we are able to spend, we're first or second in the country in terms of per capita expenditure on uh, K-12 through 12 education as well as for higher education. Um, education is a, p- a premium value. We put a lot of money into it. Uh, but a lot of it is derived straight out of those uh, uh, energy sources. Uh,
0: California has no severance tax or extraction of, of oil and gas mm-hmm. tax. Uh, so it's been tried here and failed. How, how does that look to you as a peer governor looking across the Rockies at California with no tax on extraction.
1: You know, um, um, I try not to tell other people how to run their state. I have a lot of people who want to tell me how to run mine, Um, but um, I try not to tell them how they ought to do it. Fair enough. Um, Uh, What do you
0: think about Secretary Salazar, the Department of Interior Secretary, who's made some changes on the federal level of the extraction of oil and gas?
1: The, uh, I assume they're referring to this uh, latest tiff I have going with uh, uh, Secretary Salazar over some changes they made in oil and gas leasing. Um, two things. One, on the, uh, on the side of what's called categorical exclusions, I think they took a walk. Which they, is fast-tracking certain projects. Right? Because my, my complaint about that is they shouldn't be doing them unless they're doing a cumulative analysis. And they chose not to do that. To me, they, I don't know why they did that. I think it makes it too easy for industry to come in, get a whole series of small exclusions that add, that add up to a big consumption of environmental increment. So I didn't like what they did there. They being the Department of Interior. Department of Interior. On the other side, in terms of the actual leasing process, um, they, they made it more complicated but not more thorough. And I think what they did is they created a whole other series of uh, 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 planning layers without actually doing any thoughtful analysis of, of the issuance of leases. And so I said that. And uh, so on one side, the oil and gas industry likes what I said about leasing. They don't like what I had to say about categorical exclusions. Uh, but you know, my job is to figure out how to make sure that Wyoming has, um, uh, we want a good economy, we want a good environment. And the federal government is a, is a huge landowner out there. And so I really need for them to do this right. Um, and I don't think they were. Dave. uh, However, uh, my friend Secretary Salazar has a slightly different view of that.
0: Good. Well, hopefully he'll come (laughs) in Monday and tell us about it. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Dave Friedenthal is the governor of Wyoming, and he's our guest today at Climate One at the Commonwealth Club. I'm Greg Dalton. Uh, Another uh, issue regarding federal-state relations Mm -hmm. is is around transmission. Um, Governor Pataki, former governor of of Wyoming, um, of New York. Excuse me.
1: Uh, Now that's a big uh, faux pas. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Big state. I don't know who's insulted more, him or me.
0: <laughs> he said uh, early last year that the federal government needs to get involved in transmission because if the states do it, it will, they'll mess it up.
1: Well, I, I, um, uh, let, me, let me articulate it the way I see it. I think some of his words may not have... May not have been exactly how you characterized it. Um, and if they were, it's probably a bad choice of words. Not exactly, think, but he said yeah, yeah. it'll take too long. Yeah. I, I don't think the states so much mess it up. As if you think about it, as governor, I don't appoint a public service commissioner who spends a lot of time worrying about ratepayers in California. Mm-hmm. And if you're a state where the public service commission is elected, they don't spend a lot of time uh, figuring that they have to worry about the voters in some adjacent state. So I think it is correct that the federal government needs a larger role in transmission siting. Um, on the other hand, the states need the, the opportunity to take the first crack at it. That is, if we can get it done in a timely fashion, we should do it. This issue that also, and it spills over not in, over, only into siding uh, of power lines, but also into this cost allocation question, um, FERC has always been involved in cost allocation. Federal Energy, Re- Federal Regulatory, Energy Commission. Regulatory Commission. has always been involved in that as a multi-state issue. The, um, um, now, part of the problem is, is we have to decide whether we're going to actually have an improved electric grid nationally. You know, we're divided east-west, and then Texas is off by itself. Um, or whether um, what we're going to do is turn um, the siding of power lines into another way for states to do economic fencing uh, as a way to say, look, I'm not going to let a power line across my state because it doesn't benefit me. Uh, and if you want to get a power line across here, you've got to benefit me. I mean, it's a, uh, to, I mean there's, a, there's a balance. What's in it for me. Yeah. yeah, what's in it for me. And right now, I think what you've got to have is a, I think you need a fairly strong federal backup, but I don't know that I would use them in the first instance.
0: One parallel is the interstate highway system. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that an apt parallel for the, for the national electric grid?
1: It's an apt parallel if you, uh, if you add a couple of things. Remember that when that system was constructed, everybody viewed it as being overcapacity, that we were building it too big. I mean, let's just take Wyoming. We've got six power lines that are big ones that people want to build out of there. There are probably two or three legitimate routes that you could do it. But the way this thing is structured between the um, uh, reliability standards and the role of the federal government, the role of the state government, we're going to end up having suboptimal lines in these uh, few corridors to move power. That is to say, they probably ought to be a minimum 500 kV double looped, and they're probably going to end up 340 because Mm -hmm. we don't have it put together right. That creates huge environmental questions about added disruption. Um, It creates an incredibly inefficient system, So if you're going to use the interstate interstate highway system parallel, you need to remember that you built that system with an idea towards future capacity, not just current capacity. And one of the problems with the way we regulate utilities today is that you can only put into the rate base what is necessary for the immediate consumption, for immediate use, so you don't size them right in terms of what you... If you look at Wyoming in the long run, there's probably twelve, fourteen thousand megawatts can come out of there without, you know, and be within reasonable parameters. Um, but if you end up building a series of suboptimal lines, you will have that much uh, capacity, but it will be stranded and it will never get to the market.
0: You uh, you mentioned. Um the, uh, the efficiency. Let me, let me move on to another question from the audience. Sure. Um, what is the reasonable goal for renewable energy sources uh, in your state and nationally? There's a renewable electricity standard. What's mm-hmm. the, what's the uh,
1: achievable goal? Um, let let me uh, rephrase that. I think what you ought to have is some kind of a clean energy goal. The reason I say that, and it ought to be national, is that in the southern states it's really going to be hard for them to get to much wind energy. I mean they just got trouble getting there, it's just not there. For us, getting to wind energy is fine. I mean, we don't, we're, we're not going to have a problem with it. I think what you need to do is, depending on what your glide path is, um, you need to set it up so that over the next period of years, it is not unreasonable if we're serious about a clean energy policy um, that we end up with something in the 25-30% range. The problem is how you're going to structure if you limit your if you limit it to renewables. One of the problems I have with that is, is that you're going to end up with a lot of backup fossil capacity mm-hmm. that may or may not be efficient uh, because the thing that people require most about power is that it be there when you flip the switch. Uh, and that uh, I mean um, it's kind of like you're talking about would you give up your your teenager give up their car their iPhone. Um, I think people will, they, they've clearly demonstrated that they will give up environmental concerns in, in exchange for reliability of electricity. They want it there when they flip the switch. And so we have to figure out a way to meet that basic requirement of the consumer and at the same time achieve the environmental goals. So I would, I would, I would expand it so that you're not just talking about renewables because that, that says essentially you're going to have wind and solar in and are regions where you can't do that. Uh, mm-hmm. There are regions where it's not an efficient uh, use. And, if, and that if you can say to yourself, all right, what I really want is a secure energy source that is environmentally sensible, that means you have to open it up to uh, nuclear. You have to open it up to whether or not uh, these technologies on coal can be demonstrated. You have to figure out that, for instance, on natural gas, everybody says, well, natural gas is perfect. And a lot of natural gas from Wyoming moves to California, and I'm delighted with that. I love the revenues. On the other hand, you need to understand that part of that gas, particularly deep gas, when it is pulled up, for every MCF of natural gas that comes up, two MCF of CO2 come up. MCF being? It's, the, it's a million cubic, cubic, feet. cubic feet, million cubic feet, or thousand cubic feet. And what it is is it's the measure. All right, And so what I'm saying is a lot of these deep formations, when they bring the gas up, and so one of the issues that I have is, is that in Wyoming, we want to control those CO2 emissions, and we're starting to. But for a long time, they just vent them out of the Shoot Creek plant and we're trying to force them to be put in. So when people say, well, we're pure because we're burning natural gas, if it is liquefied natural gas that comes in from overseas in a country that has no restrictions on how much gas you vent when you're producing gas, the embedded CO2 that is in that production before it hits here is severe. When somebody says uh, it's natural gas from Wyoming, if it is natural gas, it comes from the deep formations, and we have not managed to figure out how to capture the CO2, you're emitting CO2 in Wyoming to satisfy your desire to say that you're really pure in California because you're burning natural gas. You've got to look at this whole thing as a system, not just as a particular point. And
0: the embedding comes about because the, the extraction of that and compression of the gas in the other country? Absolutely emits carbon. unregulated. Is
1: that- I mean, when you look at how much they flare and how much is just sort of there.
0: So it's dirty production in another country that creates the garbage. Dirty is such
1: an ugly word. Oh. Um, yeah. uh, let's say it is, it is not as environmentally sensitive as production methods in America.
0: Okay. Um, <laughs> question from the audience. What is the state of Wyoming's position on hydraulic fracturing, which is a controversial sure. gas technology? Yeah, issue with is which
1: wondering. I have great familiarity. Um, we have uh, probably... Uh, Seventy percent of the wells in Wyoming are uh, uh, fracked, um, and the, uh, uh, the issue that are, has arisen around it really has more to do with fracking um, east of the Mississippi, um, and the reason is pretty clear. What you do in Wyoming is you're fracking generally into uh, tight sands. Into
0: Fracking is the uh, uh, injection of high-pressure water?
1: Well, no, there's more than water in it. Uh, fracking is a process by which um, at uh, the desired uh, depth where the form, the gas-producing formation is, you um, essentially blast um, uh, sometimes water, usually water, more often than not. Now, along with a series of chemicals and molecular beings, in order to create fractures that will allow the natural gas to move uh, or the material to move uh, to the wellbore. Uh, the The issue has really. Um, um, gone off the scale in places like Pennsylvania, New York because they're fracking into shale formations as opposed to tight sands which is the difference is that in tight sands you create fissures and in shales you essentially break it similar to what you would a automobile windshield when you hit it. It fractures into whole lots of small parts. Um, the, there are some, there are two um, uh, points in Wyoming where people allege that they've had problems by fracking Uh, We have not been able to prove that, and neither have they. Um, I don't speak for other parts of the country. Um, I think the issue with regard to fracking that has to be figured out is a little greater disclosure on the materials that are in the frack and probably a better sense of uh, when people do or do not lose circulation in the well. But I think you need to be careful um, that when you do this regulation, it needs to be tailored to the formation in which the fracking is actually occurring. Fracking in shales is very different than fracking in tight sands
0: so are you're okay with regulation just to be very specific well right? and
1: I, and I don't particularly want EPA doing it I don't mind if they come in and say we need some standards I mean we got we should enough. do it then. the states ought to do it and we do some through the interstate or through our oil and gas commission. And we're looking at increasing the amount of data we get. Uh, I think you need to, you, you, I, I'm not a big fan of the feds, uh, as you can imagine. Uh, I mean, they come in and, and you end up with one size fits all. I remember in the 70s, uh, when they passed the Surface Mining uh, Act, um, uh, there is no mountaintop mining in Wyoming. Feds came in and said we had to have a mountaintop mining program, even though there isn't any mountaintop mining, mining and never will be. So I'm not a real big fan of theirs.
0: So the coal in Wyoming is deep down, so you don't have the no, mountaintop no. issues? Uh, no,
1: it's not deep down. It's, it's relatively flat terrain, uh, and we do surface mining, but we, you don't have to push. I mean, in Wyoming, there are places where you move 14 feet of dirt and you, you expose a 30- or 40-foot seam of coal. Uh, so you don't have um, mountaintop removal uh, for mining of coal because of where it lays.
0: Another gas question from the audience. Uh, T Boone Pickens says that his uh, his gas bill will pass this year. Uh, what do you think of the Pickens
1: plans, the contents, and its? I think prospects? it works great for Pickens. Um, you know, I I tend to, um, and I apologize that comment was flipped. I just I get really tired of watching these various energy sectors beat on each other, and then use public policy to try to control market share, uh, whether it's coal versus gas or wind versus coal. Um, or uh, uranium or nuclear, because to me it, it seems to me that that uh, what we're doing is we're using public policy as a way to um, align uh, financial rewards, as opposed to looking at public policy for an end game. So to me, what we ought to be looking for is back to my point. What we need to be looking for is performance and outcome and not division of market share. And I think much of what is in that bill has to do with uh, um, the ongoing efforts to make sure that what essentially what he wants is uh, wind power backed up with gas. Um, And, um, you know, uh, that's probably pretty good if you're positioned where they're positioned, but that doesn't work in all parts of the country and may not work as a long-term policy force. We may discover that uh, the Marcellus and Huntington shale, um, while those estimates of what's there may be correct getting it to market it's a lot different to build a pipeline across western Pennsylvania um, in kind of somebody's thoroughbred to 40 acres than it is to build a power uh, a uh, to you know to put a gas line across the remote parts of Wyoming Colorado or Utah so I think I think there I think there's some practical hurdles ahead of that industry in that area that um, that may make it more difficult to get it to market as quickly as people think.
0: But if you have lots of wind and you have lots of gas, what's wrong with uh, gas-backed wind in Wyoming? Uh,
1: nothing wrong with it, but it shouldn't be the only choice. Because, see, what you're doing is instead of allowing for a results-driven outcome, you're saying, I'm going to make a technology preference in my, right. po- in my policy. Right. And it comes down to whether you believe you ought to be um, manipulating the economy based on your artificial objectives or whether you think you ought to have a level playing field. And back to the point when, which I say, wind's welcome in Wyoming, but they can pay their share of taxes just like everybody else.
0: So you think that policy should be more technology neutral or agnostic, but it sounds like you also think that there's lots of lobbyists who are paid to be technology specific.
1: I think that's right. I mean, I think what we should do is we should figure out where we want to end up and then create the incentives so that people say, look, uh, if I can hit that target. Um, I've created a better mousetrap, and I'm going to make money. I mean, and, and it's amazing what people will do. But what we've done now is we we have said, um, I mean, on the climate change issue, it has become so uh, embroiled in in um, what what lobbyist is paid by which industry. I mean, if if you look at the the problem with the bill in the House, is that is that there's a little bit of everything in there, but at ultimately there's nothing. Um, How would you change it? I mean, I would I would say. If, if we're serious about both energy security and um, uh, managing uh, climate uh, gases, um, I would set a standard initially as probably something close to the sort of natural gas standard and say anybody can hit that or below. Uh, it's welcome. emission emissions, number. Emissions, yeah. right, the, the emission number, which means coal is going to have to control 65 67% of its CO2 emissions if, it's gonna, if you're going to build new plants, which I think they can do, and if they can't, they can't. Um, I would say that, that I would be, um, I would insert in that bill a fairly serious effort to actually think about how we're going to restructure the electric grid because none of this works and, and in fact this economy is not going to continue to grow if we don't figure out what we're going to do with the electric grid. And, I would, and I, would, I would create as much incentive for the guy who can figure out how to reduce line loss by having a more efficient a means of transmitting electricity, we ought to reward him every bit as much as we're going to reward the person who figures out how to use coal or natural gas or some turbine, because at the end of the day, you get to the same result, which is that you're, you're, you're uh, using energy more efficient, and it is, it is reducing um, the uh, emission that is required to fund a certain growth in the economy.
0: So put in gas as a, as a baseline, a performance standard, have some efficiency measures. What about the architecture of, of capping and trading, which is
1: some of the most controversial aspects? You know, aspects I, of am, um, I mean, I've really tried to understand what it is we're doing there. And near as I can tell, what we're doing is we create, we're creating a place for finance houses to make a lot of money. Um, because, Maybe that's why they support it. Well, it might be. Um, I, Their motives are up to them. But I'm concerned that we are in, we are we are creating increased inefficiencies uh, because we're going to be having, you know, offsets and trades, and then we're going to have um, the sort of ways that... Uh, we're creating another form of currency in the, in the sense... It's of a huge
0: uh, commodities or derivatives market. Right,
1: and, and, and we've had great success with that. Um, but it, <laughs> it, it seems to me that it has become overly convoluted by creating ways for people to uh, manipulate the system. And it also has created this huge pot of money for people to fight over. Right? We, we've managed to subsidize wind um, development at an immense level without that pot of money. So, And it would be cheaper if you essentially said, we're going to take some of these other sectors. And and natural gas, at some point, you have to figure out how to uh, uh, manage it also. And, and we ought to just say, all right, we're going to do it. We're going to provide some assistance. Um, and having this massive pot of money, it just seems to me, I, I've never seen the government be able to manage that kind of a system and to manage it properly. And I think there is a reason why there are a lot of people lobbying for it, most of whom aren't in the energy industry.
0: And President Obama, who you campaigned for, was counting on it to help uh, offset the federal deficit. Everybody has their idea what to do with that money. Right. Uh, some of it's to go back to consumers to offset the increase in electricity yeah, Maybe the cost. best thing
1: we do is not have it. We just set up a standard, and we figure out how to get there.
0: Or often talked about alternative is, is a carbon fee. Would that be simpler in your mind?
1: You know, the problem with the carbon fee is depending on how you chose to uh, 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 implement it, it may or may not create market distortions. The nice thing about a standard is everybody knows what it is, and they either hit it or they don't. The problem with the, with the, the, the uh, uh, taxes, I mean, where do you put it on? Do you put it on at the pump? Uh, do well, you put upstream it on the... there's
0: fewer sources, fewer places to
1: regulate. But the further upstream you go, the, the fewer opportunities you have for people to figure out more efficient uses downstream. So, I mean, it's not clear to me why. Well, the price upstream still would flow downstream just so you tax fewer entities upstream. But, but you may not be in a position where the, it, it may cause people to say, for instance, let's take, uh, um, let's take oil. It may cause people to say, if you, if you do it right at the wellhead, what you may do is you, you may distort that market. So that you end up... she told me to quit? No. Oh, okay. All right. right. <laughs> when you hold up the chart, I get worried. Um, you may end up in a position where what you've done is you have uh, discouraged people from moving downstream to figure out how they can utilize it because you just slap it on at the top and they say, hold it. There's no reward to try to figure out how to use it further downstream. So you may end up forcing um, exactly the opposite result, which is they say, look, the high-value use of, uh, of oil is to turn it into gas gasoline. So you may end up increasing um, the amount of tailpipe emissions you've got rather than decreasing them, because ultimately that's where the high value is. That's the last thing people are going to give up, is their car. Right. So yeah. I'm, not, I'm not sure you've uh, I don't know. I mean, you watch I mean, I listen to them talk about it and I think it, it sounds really simple and I was an economics major in, in undergraduate, so it all sounded really simple until you start thinking about what you're trying to affect is human behavior both consumption and then the application of energy and intelligence to better use of of the resource, and I I'm not quite sure I'm there.
0: And but just having it, g- you may be right. I mean I don't know. And just having gas as a net as a emission standard uh, doesn't sound like it would put the price signal on carbon that so many people say. Get a price on carbon, the market will take care of it. It
1: would unless you follow your thesis, which is let's just burn all the natural gas because ultimately. The, ultimately, I think the society is going to learn that probably the better use for natural gas is not in the in the generation of electricity. It's going to be as a petrochemical stock and for space heat. Heating buildings. Buildings, yeah. Uh, and that ultimately it's going to become, a dear, I think, a dear resource going forward. Uh, and so I... I, uh, I so I, you're not
0: an advocate. Many people say that uh, we should burn natural gas to displace coal to generate electricity. That's the best use of gas... Not to put it in cars, and you're saying we should heat our homes, not generate electricity. Yeah,
1: because ultimately, what you ought to do, you got more coal. You got a lot of coal in the ground. You got to figure out how to use it. But you got to get the technology to where you can be um, uh, essentially equal to where natural gas is in terms of its emissions. Which is why I think, uh, which is why I think you can't, you can't just say, let's just burn all the natural gas. Because if you think over the lifetime of the society, at some point, what are you going to do? Then you're going to convert coal to natural gas so you can use it as a chemical feedstock? I mean, if you think these things through, they're not all, they're not all linear.
0: Yeah, there's some people doing that. Another question from the audience. Uh, Wyoming has the highest incidence of injury among contract workers in oil and gas mm-hmm. in the entire U.S. With all the revenues from energy, couldn't Wyoming be doing better?
1: Well, we hope to be doing better. I mean, we, we just finished up with a... Uh, a year-long task force, and one of the recommendations is, and interestingly enough, uh, supported by industry, is uh, we greatly enhance uh, the level of fines uh, to require people. The second issue, oddly enough, has to do with having, forcing people to use seatbelts. More than half of those accidents that, are, that they're talking about in those numbers are single-car or single-vehicle, oftentimes of pick up single-vehicle uh, drivers who don't have a seatbelt on. Uh, and so what you find is an awful lot of those incidents are away from the job site. So we're hoping to address the job site by greatly enhancing uh, the level of penalties and hoping to deal with the off away from the uh, job site by um, uh, increasing the requirement that people wear seatbelts. Now, that's not going to be very popular in Wyoming. I mean, uh, the, the idea that anybody's going to tell us to do anything. And it's very interesting to me. We, we object to the government telling us to wear seatbelts, But when we get in the car, we mandate that our children wear seatbelts. So it is the law in the family, but we don't want it to be the law of the land. Uh, But that's just kind of who we are.
0: Then, you know, as a public leader, what are the levers? How do you try to change personal behavior other than price signals? um, You know, uh, I think... um, It's not laws and it's not taxes. What do you do?
1: You know, I think it is... It's talking to people, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, and I think we over uh, we overestimate the de- degree to, to which um, leaders can force us to be what we're not uh, we're going to be what we want to be whether you're uh, and sometimes leaders can, as the saying goes call upon, I think it was Lincoln's call upon the better angels of the human spirit uh, but there have to be some angels there first um, and uh, uh, I think that people um People are always saying that it's it's the leader's job, it's the governor's job, it's the senator's job, it's the president's job, it's the mayor's job. At the end of the day, what we're doing is we're defaulting on our own obligations. And so I think that we underestimate um, the role that people play. Uh, So what you do is you try to talk to them, try to... But it changes slow. It sounds like what some call the politics of personal responsibility. It's not a bad idea. I mean, we preach it to our children but we don't want to practice it in public policy.
0: Speaking of uh, electoral campaigns, uh, you are, I believe this is your, your last year in office. Might be um, or might not be. Um, okay. But are you, you're termed out of the governor's office, though.
1: Well, it's an interesting thing in Wyoming. Um, <laughs> okay. All right. You know, I don't know that you needed to ask this, but since you did, I'll answer <laughs> it. <laughs> um, the, uh, some years ago, through initiative, there was a statutory language put on doing term limits. The legislators uh, decided they didn't like them, so they sued. And the Supreme Court said, um, since uh, qualifications for public office are set in the Constitution, if you're going to add or change, add to those or to change them, you have to do it by amending the Constitution. And uh, so they threw term limits out as it related to legislators and then said we're not reaching the statewide electeds because none of them are parties in front of us. Uh, but clearly the same analysis would apply. So the question is, if I wanted to run again, I would go and challenge term limits and, and then uh, run, or I may or may not do that. Do what Mayor Bloomberg did in New York? Yeah. Only uh, we wouldn't do it through the city council. You'd just go to court. So was, what,
0: gonna, what I was going to ask is whether, how you think that this energy and uh, environment issues will play out in 2010, um, as someone who may or may not now yeah. being, being uh, uh, I, running. I think,
1: I think that, that they're going to play out uh, pretty seriously in the elections in 2010, nationwide. Um, because um, the uh, uh, the the stuff that 's happened in Congress has done more, I think to discredit the issues because there 's no um, uh, as i say there there 's so much in the bill that when you look at it um, it 's hard to make sense of it and and so the public is going to be more and more skeptical about our ability to have policy in this area um, you 're in an economy in which um, 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 people are going to tend to view environmental gains as luxuries, not as necessities. They're going to view their job, their kids, those things as... Public
0: the, polls show that already. Yeah. Right, because I mean, yeah. I mean, it's,
1: it's sort of Maslow's hierarchy of values. I mean, that's where we're at. And I think you're going to see that sort out because we have not made a compelling case that um, um, there is a, a, a doable um, sort of glide path to make the uh, energy and environment issues um, work together. And so I think you're going to see um, uh, an added politicization, pol- pol- anyway, more political uh, on those issues um, and more rhetoric from both sides.
0: So do you think, you think legislation will get through this year? No, no. you I think mean, it gets through in President Obama's term? Currently? Um,
1: uh, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people who thinks what they ought to do is back up, pick out two or three things and go do them. So pick out a renewable electricity standard or or a clean energy standard, standard. uh, with a with a reasonable glide path.
0: Do it a la carte rather than all one big bundle. Because
1: I think the uh, um, the with good reason, the public is skeptical of these mega bills because there's all these little provisions stuck in them. And I mean, sit down and read what came out of the house, and you cannot but you cannot read that and not come away uh, skeptical about our capacity to govern ourselves on these mega-bill bases. Um, you know, the, the human mind is more able to absorb um, incremental changes that are pointed in a particular direction. Uh, I, think, I think we need to emphasize the direction and then make what progress we can. Uh, but for some reason, um, we have come in public life to this notion that you have to, um, I need this big mega statement. Um, that's not the way we run our lives. Uh, once in a while there are. But by and large, most stuff we do a chunk at a time. And I think for most governors, they look at it, most legislation is kind of a chunk at a time. You get some this year, you get some more next year.
0: So no major climate legislation this year, and it sounds like you're saying that this is really going to work against Democrats in the upcoming cycle.
1: I think it's going to work against incumbents uh, because I think the, the, um, uh, uh, the articulation of a reconciliation between our economic insecurities and our, inner, and our environmental objectives has not been made, uh, and I think that, that it can be made because I, I don't think they're exclusive. I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I think, but but you have to be willing to say, um, I think that this is our performance objective and our outcome. Um, it's an open field for anybody who can get there. We're going to help them get there in terms of uh, the energy sources, but we're not going to um, impose um, our prejudices and call it legislation.
0: We've reached the end of our time. Our thanks to Governor Dave Friedenthal, Governor of Wyoming, for his time here at Climate One at the Commonwealth Club. I'm Greg Dalton, and this program is adjourned. Thank you, Governor.
1: Thank you.